a dating and makeover expert where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. What if I told you to take off your mask? I knew that would get your attention, especially now. Okay, I'm not talking about the kind that protects you from diseases. I'm talking about the kind that hides you from being your authentic self. And I mean, what does that mean to live authentically? You hear this all the time. That phrase is kicked around a lot. You know, live an authentic life, be authentic. But how how do you find that place within yourself? How do you know you are not being influenced by past messages and beliefs? And now you throw dating in the mix, right? How does authenticity affect your relationships and your dating life? Being authentic means coming from a real place, a real place from within. And it is when your actions and words are congruent, congruent with your beliefs and values. And it is being your true self, not an imitation of what you think you should be, or worse yet, what others want to see in you. And this is a really big distinction. I see this all the time. And and actually confusion with a lot of my clients who are out there dating. And I often refer this to, and I've even done a whole podcast on this, as shape-shifting, right? Like when you morph yourself into what others like or want of you so that they'll like you. And this is the mask. This is the mask I'm talking about that is worn when you are first dating. And the problem then becomes later on in the relationship that you went in not authentic, right? So you went in with the mask on and then guess what happens? The mask starts wearing off (laughs) and then it feels a little uncomfortable because the resentment starts setting in, right? And you're not getting your needs met and, and that starts surfacing. In fact, the resentment erodes the mask where your partner finally might be seeing the real you and that doesn't always work. This was the case of my client I worked with a couple of years ago. And I, because I was trying to think of like, there's a lot of people who grapple with the masks. And this one was really profound because her entire life she was wearing the mask because she attracted narcissists and fixer uppers. And it stemmed from having a narcissistic father. And by the time that I started coaching with her and I met her, it was so profound in the way that it was leaking. And it was leaking in her messaging. It was leaking in her body language. It was things that she wasn't even aware of. And I'll never forget this because we first went shopping together. As you all know, I, I love doing the shopping piece first just to help people with their confidence. And I would like hold up clothes and she would say, okay, that, that, okay, that looks good. And then I'd hold up something and she goes, okay. And then I would ask her like a question and she'd go, okay. And it was like, I almost wanted to say, do you want to jump off a ledge? And I think she would say, okay. (laughs) And I said, I'm sorry, I have to stop and just make an observation. Like you are agreeing with everything that I'm saying. And I'm just wondering if you're aware of that and how much that shows up in your life and how much that shows up in your dating life. And she kind of looked at me 
And she's like, oh gosh, Kim, like that's actually my problem. Like it's hard to say no. I don't even know what I like sometimes. And you know, she, she started becoming aware of this. And even just through the store, I I was like, just getting rid of that language. I said, if you don't like something, don't say, okay, tell me more about what you're reacting to when I hold up a garment. Like, don't say yes or no, just say, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And it was really powerful for her. And that dynamic of agreeing, agreeing with everyone and not saying just, okay. um, It was time to reprogram. And so she started saying, you know, no to things she didn't like and yes to what she wanted. And it started with the clothes. And then we had intensive coaching around how to be her authentic self, which was really empowering. And she ended up learning how to say no to men on dates and sharing what she liked and what she was passionate about without the shame and guilt. And she finally attracted a great man in her life, I'm happy to say, but I mean, she had to kiss a lot of frogs, I'm not gonna lie. Um, And she had to kind of understand the signs to look for. And she ended up being treated like a queen. And, And when she landed him, she almost didn't recognize that feeling of being taken care of by being treated like a queen. It was really foreign to her. So she had to get used to that. Discovering your truth, who you are and who your authentic self are crucial, crucial elements to attracting a healthy partner. And it's about learning to face your fears and doubts and to be able to reach deep within you to find what makes you tick and demand what you deserve. So with me today... I have someone really special, and I think, yeah, we're going to have a great conversation. He has thrived in life by learning how to live mask-free. So I can't take credit for that that phrase because he's coined it, he lives it, it, and we're going to have a great conversation. He was a full-blown drug addict, and um, I hope that I'll tell more of a story about that. He had no money, no home, and after running out of options and fearing death, he checked into rehab, entered recovery, and has been transformed himself every day since. He did an amazing TEDx Nashville talk, and you can check it out on YouTube. It's called The Great Leaders Do What Drug Addicts Do. It's number one talk in history of TEDx Nashville, so cool, which reflects about his year journey from addiction and near homelessness to successful entrepreneurship. His talk sparked the hashtag mask-free movement built on three principles, inspired by his recovery, showing leaders how to achieve balance, reclaim energy, and thrive and work in life in an authentic way. He is now acclaimed speaker, entrepreneur, award-winning leadership coach, and author of Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts, How to Lead like your life depends on it. Today, he's on a mission to teach individuals, organizations, and communities how to lead themselves by living mask-free. Welcome, Michael Brody Wait. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite the intro. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> you are welcome. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I didn't write that. Like, that is your life. It's so impressive. Um, gosh, I mean, and that's where I wanted to start because obviously I introduced your story, but I would love to hear more, you know, like where it all began and how you got into doing what you do. Yeah, so when when I went to college, I distinctly remember feeling like I didn't have the instructions for how to deal with life on life's terms. I had all these moments that were not a big deal, but they felt like such a big deal. <clears throat> and I had such a strong emotional reaction 
and I didn't know how to deal with the feelings. And I'd always been told growing up that my dad was an alcoholic. He was, a, he was not drinking anymore, but that I had the genetic predisposition. And I remember seeing a Lifetime movie about a, a guy that was a drunk. And I remember actually wanting his life because it seemed really simple. Wow. Like all I did was drink and he didn't have to feel his feelings. And so I wanted that. And so that led to me learning how to become an alcoholic, which helped me become a drug addict and helped me get kicked out of college, fired from my job kicked out of my house, car repossessed, liver enzymes through the roof, throwing up blood. And I mean, at the, at the end, uh, the only thing keeping me from living on the street was my buddy's couch. And I couldn't even, I didn't even have a belt. I couldn't even afford a belt to hold my pants up. I was using a piece of rope and I didn't want to live, but I didn't know how to kill myself. So I was so uncomfortable being Michael Brody Wade. And now Thanks to recovery, I'm not just like comfortable being Michael Brodyway. I'm proud to be Michael Brodyway. And at the same time, I hate saying my name in the third person three times in a row because I don't really like ego. <laughs> <laughs> but you say it so powerful and well right now. I I I, I want to hear more, but I just had to stop. It was so interesting what you said, how you saw how you thought the drinking was going to be so simple. You know, yeah. yet it ended up being so complex in the end to the point of toxicity. And I I so commend you for like just that journey and how you recognize that, but then how you got out of it. So like what happened from there after you hit rock bottom? Well, we have a saying that um, a program for recovery can be the last house on the block. And so I went, uh, I woke up September 1st, 2002 at the Betty Ford center in Rancho Mirage, California. And I was there only because I didn't know where else to go. Uh, but I spent the first three days walking around and I could hear my story coming out of every other addict's mouth. And it was hard not to see myself for who I was. Oof. Once I was, I mean, you know, there was a father that I, I didn't have any children, but there was a father that talked about being blackout drunk with his kids in the car driving. And I was taken back to being on Sunset Boulevard, driving nine miles per hour and taking like a right-hand turn, hoping that my SUV would tip over and thinking, never really thinking about how that could hurt other people. Mm. And so you see your story and all these other people, you start to see that you have a real problem, which is really humbling. But at the same time, I was at rehab. And you know, one of the problems with addicts, and you probably know this in your background as a therapist, like the problem with addicts is we, we tell them to stop and that doesn't do jack. Like it doesn't like tell them to stop until you're blue in the face. I'm not going to stop. The only time an addict gets recovery is when you tell them what to start instead. When I got into Betty Four, they didn't tell me being an addict was bad. It should be, it would be better if I stopped using, it'd be better for everyone. They gave me a step-by-step, -step, 12 steps, in fact, 12-step system that methodically anyone can execute in any language in any country in the world to go from using every day to being clean or sober every day. And that was the difference between me dying and living. And so I, I, I took hold of that system. And, and that's been something that's been a core part of my story ever since. Wow. That is so powerful and courageous because, you know, like when you go down that path, there's almost like a fork in the road, you know, like some people take the dark path and you kind of pivoted and went in different direction, which is amazing. I, I was curious, you know, this whole like mask free movement that you yeah. have, which is so amazing. Like how, 
how does that relate to your journey with authenticity? Like, because I know a lot of times when I work with clients who either drink a lot or they have sex a lot, like call it any kind of addiction. It was, it's a way of feeling. Yeah. And that, I wondered if that was for you and how that relates to authenticity too. I mean, at the end of the day, man, I, what I was medicating was being uncomfortable being me. So it comes to yeah. the heart of being inauthentic. I was not comfortable in my own skin being who I, being me, being my, having my insecurities, my doubts, the way I look, the way I act, the way, what I wear, like whatever it is, I was just, I didn't know how to cope with all of those feelings, right? So when I was, it's, it's yeah, the mastery movement's been really interesting for me with the whole um, pandemic happening, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> My book hit the pre. We hit the pre-promotion window literally the week that the NBA season was uh, like suspended. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah, I got a death threat over social media. <laughs> Someone saying that I was perpetuating people not wearing masks and that I was wrecking people's lives. And oh, I was like, God. "No, dude, this is the mass-free movement. It's philosophical. It's about authenticity." And the person was actually like, "Oh, that's really cool." But so I go all the way back. So 18 years ago, I'm in rehab. And they had me create a mask. I, th I think I still have it in storage somewhere. They had me literally take cutouts from magazines and put it on a paper mask to try to show who's the Michael that I try to show to the world. And then they had me draw who I really am. And you see like a stark difference, right? And so for me, the masks go all the way back to when I got clean, when I realized that one of the main things I was medicating was that delta between who I wished I was and who I actually was. Wow. That's so funny that you did that exercise. I had, um, I had a big summit in Las Vegas like five years ago and I had everybody do that and we all had the masks on. And, and it was funny, even just the way people behaved when they had one mask on versus another. Yep. That was that was also interesting. And and I see that a lot with even just the clothes that you wear, you know, even if you're not feeling authentically you, like who is it that you want to be? And even trying that mask on until it becomes you. I mean, I think there's something too with that, you know, and how that can be symbiotic. Absolutely. I, I actually I should fish out that mask and see if I can wear it as a protective garment, but I'm pretty sure it's not like FDA certified or, <laughs> right. or CDC or whatever. I'm pretty sure it won't help me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, how has it helped? I mean, that's a good question. Like how has been, or that like impact of the, the mask free life been for you? And, and, and first of all, I want to hear it for yourself, but then like, how can you recommend to others listening that they can do that too. Yeah. So I, I never knew that I was like going to end up in, in this field and in this direction. But basically when I got out of rehab, I defined how to be a recovering addict in the world where people thought addiction was a stigma, um, where my lack of college degree was a stick, like we're all, I had all these things working against me. And when I went to get a job and I went to work my way up a corporate ladder, I always had to like be scared of sharing who I truly was as a recovering addict. But what I learned in recovery was, to me, the only system I've ever learned that taught me how to, like, systematically be true to myself. And, and so, as an example, it, you know, in working my way up a corporate ladder, Fortune 50 company, when I was in that company, everybody around me looked like me maybe a little bit. Mm. acted like me a little bit, but they weren't a recovering drug addict. And I could hide that, right? I could hide that. But everybody was hiding themselves. They were hiding something else. 
And so like I talk about this in my book and, and, and the, the four masks that people wear, but people were saying yes to things that they could say no to all the time. 31 hours a month are wasted in meetings that are unnecessary in, in, the, in the business world. Oh, yeah. They were saying yes to things that they could say no to. Well, you know what? As a drug addict, that was my problem saying yes to drugs. So once you learn how to say no to drugs, saying no to a meeting becomes really easy. Or no to so, a date. <laughs> yeah, no, no to a date. That's absolutely right. correct. So number two, hiding a weakness. That's mm. the other thing that people are doing. And not just in the business world, everywhere. Romantic world, you name it. Everywhere people are hiding a weakness. Well, as a drug addict, that's my problem. I'm hiding the fact that I'm an addict. So I have to learn systematically how to overcome that. Number three, people are avoiding difficult conversations with your family member, with your friend. We're in you know, quarantine land. Maybe someone, you're an introvert and you want some space. Like It doesn't matter. We are avoiding difficult conversations. Well, when you say, hey, I'm Mike, I'm an addict, and you, and you do a four-step with a sponsor, you learn how to have a difficult conversation. And then number four, holding, everybody was holding back their unique perspective in the working world, in the personal world, in the romantic world. <clears throat> Scared of missing out on being accepted or loved or whatever. Meanwhile, they're stifling like the one thing that they bring to the world that's unique. And so like that manifests itself. And for example... Uh, six months ago, being told by your PR company that you can't talk about the mass-free movement because of a pandemic. Mm. And then you end up firing your PR company and you say, I'm going to do it anyway because it's true to me. And it ends up being okay. But like, even my, my, whole, my whole thing was going to get stifled by me potentially trying to hide myself. So people say yes when they could say no. They hide weaknesses. They avoid difficult conversations. They hold back their unique perspective. These are all things that addicts do too. The difference is, is that we don't actually have a solution for, I don't think, for how humans can systematically in every area of their life say no, share a weakness, have a difficult conversation, and, have, and, and channel their unique perspective. But that's what I got in 12-step recovery. So my life's work is about taking everything that I learned in 12-step recovery and giving people a systematic way to unleash their true selves and overcome these four masks so that they can really realize their potential. I love, I love everything that you said. And I like that you break it up into steps. I think that's what people need, especially with this big word of authenticity. I think it's overwhelming. People don't really know what that is, especially yeah. if, if you haven't lived an authentic life. Like, what is that? You know, maybe just breaking it down into those simple steps can really make a difference. And I'm all about that. Like, I, I'm curious that that step that you talked about, like how people kind of cover up their weaknesses. Can yeah. you give an example of that? Because I'm, I'm thinking of some people that I've worked with who completely do that. In fact, the fear of having that weakness being seen on a date or, you know, having somebody actually see that weakness and efforts for them to cover it up, it backfires every single time. So I'd love for you to speak on that. I think, so I remember when um, I was dating my, my, now my wife and I was, I wasn't, I, I was long enough in recovery. I wasn't scared to tell her I was a recovering addict. Uh, the thing that I was actually scared to tell her was that I had, I had just gone through a divorce and I was not willing to commit to anyone. I was not willing to move in, get married for a long period of time. And I remember thinking that she would think that I'm weak because I have these rules. Um, and, you know, 
when I shared them with, when I shared this with her, I thought it would scare her off. You know, oh, I'm damaged because I've been, I've been through a divorce and I went through all that pain and, and, and it didn't, but you know what it, it created is an opportunity where I was accepted for my true self. And now I didn't have to live up to, I mean, this can be as simple as you're on a first date and someone says, Hey, you know about this thing? And you start nodding your head instead of saying, I have no idea what the F you're talking about. <laughs> Right. Totally. It starts, yes. it's, it starts, it's just like a drug addiction. It starts yeah. small and it builds. So, so yes. you start, you start hiding yourself on the little thing like, Oh, I totally watched the presidential debate and I totally know what they're talking about. No, I actually read an article and I don't know what's or they happening. watched us on all and they, they got right. it. <laughs> That's actually where I get my news. Actually. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's way better. But then right. you get to these serious moments, but, but if you can, if you can take off the mask and share your weakness the interesting thing that happens is that's what drives connectivity. Yes. And so th- this is what it did for my wife. So I remember a little bit after, so now she is my girlfriend. I've actually decided I'm committed to her. And, and I say, Hey, I want to take you to my 12 step meeting on Friday night. I'm like, and so we get there, you know, or we, uh, it's the day it's Friday. I'm going to take her. And I say, aren't you excited? And she looks at me and she goes, no. I, in fact, I don't want to go. It's going to be terribly uncomfortable. Mm. But I'm going to go because it's important. I swear I fell in love with her 10 times Aww. in that moment because I want to be around authentic humans. And I, every woman I had ever dated up until that moment would be like, yeah, I can't wait to be around a bunch of ex-felons and drug addicts. <laughs> Like, who the hell actually says they want to do that? Like, I had a girlfriend once that came to dinner with us afterwards, and she was like, it's like being at dinner with 20 of the people. Like, if you know that guy in college that was crazy, and like, you were so scared to be around because he did whatever. It's like being around 20 of those, except they're not medicated at all. And there's nothing blunting who they are. And so she was the first person that was like, it's uncomfortable, but here's how this starts to exponentially grow. A month later, I'm going to go meet her parents. We're going to go on a lake and they're, we're going to boat thing. That's something we do in the South. I don't care about boats. And she's like, are you excited about being my parents? And I was able to say, no, it's going to be terribly uncomfortable. That is important. Awesome. I'm going to do it anyway. That is so awesome. <laughs> we rob ourselves of these opportunities. Yeah. There's so much power in owning our humanity. And there are so many messages that tell us that our humanity is a weakness. The strength is in owning your humanity and your imperfections and being able to honestly say, this is who I am. And when you have the courage to do that in front of someone else, no matter how much they want to wear the mask, they're more likely to take theirs off. And that's where real connection begins. And then you earn love based off of who you are, not who you pretend to be. Ah, amen. That is a great story, by the way. And, um, you know, in the end, what ends up happening too is that someone loves you for you. Yes. And and the right person will. And because so many times people worry, oh, well, that person won't like me because da da da. And I'm like, well, then that's not your person. <laughs> you know, if they don't like you, great, let's get it over with, like right from yeah. the get-go. Um Oh my God, you remind me of my own story when I first got divorced. And it's funny because like when you first get divorced, that I call the weakness, the scarlet letter. Like we all have these scarlet letters, you know, like on our forehead. And we, we, we lead with that sometimes worried about, oh my God, everyone's seeing it. And my scarlet letter was, I'm a young mom with young kids. Who's going to love me as a divorced single mom, you know? And um, I'll never forget, and, and you'll appreciate this. <laughs> the first time somebody introduced me, uh, 
to another single mom, I was at first a little bit like offended. Um, like she came up to me, she's like, Kim, um, I hope you don't take offense to this, but I have another single mom that I wanted to introduce you to. And I'm like, sure. And then secretly inside, I'm like, Ooh, there's another one of me, Right. you know, like I was kind of intrigued. And so I'll never forget when I picked up that phone to call that woman, it was like an AA meeting. And the first thing I said to her, I said, hi, I'm Kim and I'm a single mom too. And I (laughs) I just broke into tears and it was the best moment now when I look back, because had I not done that, I don't even think I'd be here because that woman was the first friend I had where I learned about single life and getting my mojo back and now doing what I do today. So it is so true that your weakness ends up being your strength in the end too. And I just think that we don't fully understand and appreciate how systematically we manage perception. So we have filters on Snapchat. You and I are doing this through Zoom right now. There's a way you can touch up your face, um, your appearance through Zoom. There's a checkbox for that. Oh, I have that on people. I do. I have the (laughs) HD on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you look great. Thanks, darling. So the thing is, is that we're hiding ourselves. And and that doesn't mean, you know, uh, anybody that knows me knows I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. I would pee in myself if I met her. Oh, she's Um, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And so she talks about like, uh, the. you can also go too far. She calls it floodlighting, where you share too much information as a way Mm -hmm. to actually, you know, destroy intimacy. But for me, like the thing that, that I really appreciated was I, I was, I, I heard about authenticity. I heard be true to yourself. I heard Sherry. I heard all this stuff that didn't make it easy to do. Like we've all read the book on, you should say no. We've all read the book on, you should just share your weaknesses. You should have the crucial or difficult conversation. You should, you know, channel your unique self. But when everything's on the line, so many of us are systematically engineered through muscle memory, not to. And mm-hmm. so for me, I had to be literally reprogrammed in the 12-step program. And so like that's where um, my three principles from my TED Talk come in because they essentially encapsulate what we learn in the 12-step program. And that becomes the method that you can use on a daily basis to actually rip these masks off and keep them off. Although the real secret is it's just like drug recovery. You never actually fully recover. Like I wear masks still. And anybody that says that they're fully authentic is is like one of the least authentic mofos you will meet. I was going to say, that's not authentic. (laughs) No, I have an an authenticity assessment that I've given to 2,000 people. And I can always spot the liar because they test over 60%. They're like, I'm oh, so authentic. Awesome. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm like, when people start my program, their authenticity percentage goes down because they start to realize how much they manage perception. And it's a lifelong endeavor. And our goal is just to take the masks off more than we wear them in order to unleash our potential. But you have to take a step-by-step approach. We've distilled it down into something you can do in one minute a day. But you have to take a step-by-step approach to be able to truly live authentically because I personally believe that we are addicted to being inauthentic. And I think the reason that we keep saying that the world's leaders should be authentic and we need authentic companies and we've never heard a politician answer a question with, I don't know, is because we've misdiagnosed the problem. I think that the reason that we don't have that is the same reason you don't have an addict that gets clean when you say you need to stop using. It's bad for you. It would be better if you stopped using. We keep telling them what to stop instead of telling them what to start. I love Brene Brown, but there is no how in her books. When I gave her books to my team, they said, I don't know how to do this, but you do because you have a 12-step program. So we just need the how to be able to overcome this. 
I say that all the time. It takes those action steps. Otherwise, it's just theory swimming in your head. And it's then it becomes analysis paralysis, you know? Like at it what can become demotivating. It's like, oh, totally. I know I should be, but I'm not doing this. Well, I was going to ask you about that. And I know we have to wrap up soon, but this is so juicy. I love this conversation. Um, if somebody does hit the rock bottom or they recognize and know that they have to kind of get to the core of who they are, what would you say to someone to help them get over those fears? Because it's it, to your point, it's not easy. Uh, of being authentic or in terms of drug recovery? Being authentic. I mean, obviously, yeah. the drug recovery is also part of it, I guess. But Well, not for everybody, thank God. Um, oh, okay, yeah. All right. So, but, but I do think that the addiction to inauthenticity is there for everybody. I mean, I'm not an expert in terms of, like, from a clinical perspective. This is mm-hmm. what I teach. I teach... So many people, and, I, and if this goes against anything you teach, I apologize. Um, so many people will, will say, I'm going to teach you how to learn who you are. Mm-hmm. In, for, in my experience, that doesn't work. I am too, human beings are dynamic. It's impossible to spot self-deception. It is so much easier to catch when I'm not acting like who I am. It's so much easier yeah. to catch when I'm wearing the mask. And over the moments where I, where I go, oh, I was saying yes when I could say no, or oh, I was hiding a weakness, or I was avoiding difficult conversation, I start to learn who I am. Yes. One of the things you learn in 12-step recovery is action over insight. And so, so just to me, if you practice rigorous authenticity, you surrender the outcome, you do uncomfortable work, and you do that every single day, you will learn who you truly are by stopping yourself when you are acting like who you aren't. Oh my God. No, you are spot on actually. And, and it's Sweet. very, very um, compatible. I'll say with what I teach because it's about creating new habits and that's really what you're doing. And in order yep. to create a new habit, you have to do something new and practice it every single day, but you first have to catch it. Like you said, you know, like what are the patterns? It was just like what I did with that woman I was talking about in the beginning when she was starting to say, okay, okay, okay. Like she didn't even know. So we cut that out of her vocabulary and we replaced it with something else. And she had to practice that every single day. I I have um, an app that I give all my clients where they're checking in their moods every single day so that they actually recognize how they're feeling because so many people are not even in tune to how they're feeling. Right. And so I love that. I think that's a great way of looking at it. But I commend you for talking about the habits because I think that in our space where we are trying to help people, there are far too many people that sell hope and inspiration knowing that there's no implementation because implementation isn't sexy. It's a lot better to say, come to my workshop and you'll be fixed. And, and this is, you know, it's basically right. like using drugs. You use this and you're going to feel better and all that stuff. Now I, I do workshops. I'm sure you do workshops, but the thing I always tell people is it's not about inspiration. It's about implementation. And it's not going to your first 10, 12 step meetings are scary. And the next 10 to, t- to 50 are really exciting. You're, you're 1,560th. There's nothing glorious about that, except for the fact that you get to look at yourself in the mirror and like who you are. Mm, love that. That is awesome. And, and I think that's the empowerment too, because, you know, nothing is as rewarding as getting through something that's uncomfortable because that's usually where change happens. I see that all the time. Like no one changes in comfort. You have to get uncomfortable and that's part of that process. So yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this conversation, Michael. I'm so happy that we connected. I would love to um, hear any like last words of wisdom or things that you want to leave the audience with. Um, I would, I would just say that 
if you're out there and you're saying, yeah, I want to live authentically and, and I want to say no, and I want all the, you know, I, I want to share my weakness on stuff. Don't beat yourself up if you're not doing it. Um, we have a saying for addicts that work a 12 step program and relapse. We say there's no shame in relapse. There's only shame in not coming back. And so I would say, if you keep trying to do something over and over again, and you're not getting the result that you want, that's insanity, expecting a different result. So identify a better how, identify a better system, a better method. There are people that have figured out how to do this. Mm. And, and, and you know what? You may, try, you may try my stuff. You may try Kim's. You may try other people's stuff. It may not work or fit. But the point is, is that you are not alone. Like you are not alone. Just like the addict that needs a 12-step program, dude, you are not alone. And so like, don't get disappointed and don't get diminished and don't lack the, the gumption to like keep going after it. Go after it and just know that we have a saying, I'll, I'll end with this. We have a saying with addicts, you have a 100% chance of staying clean or sober when you work a 12-step program. The problem is, is that 90% of addicts won't follow effing directions. <laughs> they won't follow the how. Right. So- if you're not getting the result that you want, there's a chance that you just need a better how. It's not that it's not possible for you. Mm, that's awesome. And where can everyone find you? Uh, so about the first 25 years of my life, I got beat up and made fun of for having a hyphenated last name. My name is Michael Brody hyphen weight. Um, but the beautiful thing is uh, search engine optimization. Thanks to Google, I'm the only Brody weight. I was going to so say, if, that's great. <laughs> if you Google me, um, you can find my website, my TED talk, my book, my social content, and you can message me through all that kind of stuff. Also, I do have a mask assessment on my website. So if you go to michaelbrodyweight.com, you can find out in five minutes, which of the four masks you're wearing, how they're costing you 500 hours a year, what your authenticity percentage is. That's great. Michael, thank you so much for all your wisdom and connecting. Thank you for creating this space to help people in a very specific area. And I think it takes a lot of courage for you to camp out and focus in this space. Mm. And I think that that level of commitment is really special. And I think that you're most likely going to be disproportionately helping people compared to a lot of people that want to be everything to everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And who knows, maybe we'll do a workshop together one of these days. How fun would that be? I mean, be? we had great chemistry on this. So I'd be I down. know, right? <laughs> I got to keep going. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for you joining me today. This has been the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, Kimmy Seltzer. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And make sure you go to my site, KimmySeltzer.com. And if you keep asking yourself why you're still single and feeling powerless about your love life, okay, there are three things you can do right now to empower yourself. First, as Michael was saying, it takes a village, that community, so that you don't feel so alone. Join my free Facebook group so that you can get motivated and inspired by other women. If you're a woman working on your love life, men, hopefully I will have one for you soon, but you can still get a hold of me and I will support you in every step of the way. And second, grab my exclusive pod cast audio course. And of course, this is called This May Be Why You Suck at Dating, where I will help you learn to get out of your head and into his bed. This course is filled with juicy audio-only episodes, which you can access right here and listen as you do my podcasts. And if you ever thought, I wish I knew what I was doing wrong after failed dating experiences, empower yourself to get the answers here and know what to do about it. And finally, as always, you can sign up for a free strategy session. And that way we can determine if you're wearing a mask or not and create a plan to start letting dates really see you. Remember, it starts with you and working on yourself 
is working on your love life. That's all for now. 